Hey guys, uh, my name's Colby Dimmock. Um, I am going to be speaking tonight on a topic known as the fall. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to introduce myself uh, so we get to know each other a little bit here. I'm not just some guy standing up here saying a bunch of words. All right, uh, let's see, I went to Norcross High School. There we go, got some Blue Devils in the house, all right. Um, and this fall, I will be going to Samford University. There? Yeah? Anybody get, if anybody's going to Samford, come find me afterwards. I have some friends here. Uh, we're going to Samford as well. We would love to come meet you. So find me afterwards if you're going to Samford. I would love to meet you. All right. Uh, in high school, I played lacrosse. Uh, cross players, right? All right. Um, I played for four years, uh, really enjoyed lacrosse, loved uh, playing sports, being outside. And then, uh, like Gray last night, I am also an Eagle Scout. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I really love the outdoors and camping and anything about the outdoors like that. Uh, so in Gray's talk last night, he was telling us all about creation and how God created the world. It was this amazing, beautiful thing, and Grace did a great job of portraying how amazing and wonderful this creation was. It was the most beautiful thing that could ever be. God created the whole world beautifully. Now, if you all remember last night, Gray had some pictures that he put up about, uh, to kind of show some of God's creation. And uh, one in particular, there was that picture of the flowers uh, and the path that was in the flowers, made out of the flowers. Uh, so Adam and Eve in the garden, the first two people that God created, they had the opportunity to walk with God in the garden. They walked hand in hand with God, literally physically walking, being able to physically touch God, walk with him on a daily basis. Imagine that path, that flowery path that Gray showed us last night. Imagine walking hand in hand with your creator who loves you and cares for you deeply daily. You have to walk through the most beautiful place ever possibly created with the guy who created you. Just imagine how perfect and awesome that would be. Like, that would just be so cool. I would love to do that. I'd just love to walk through that field of flowers, but I can't even imagine how that would be with my creator, to walk with the God who loves me and cares for me and made me. That right there is perfection. That's God's image of perfection. That's how he wanted things to be all the time. That was his goal for the world. He wanted things to be that perfect. Let's jump forward to May 20th, 2013. At, at 2.56 p.m. in Moore, Oklahoma, a tornado touched ground. In its path was Plaza Towers Elementary School. Now, in Oklahoma, they're used to tornadoes coming, so they kind of know the drill. They have their tornado routine that they go through. So the, the principal gets up on the speaker, and she announces out to the whole school that uh, they need to start their tornado procedures. So all the teachers are gathering their, school, their children. It's, it's an elementary school, so remember, these are all little kids. They're all like eight or younger. And so uh, they start their emergency procedures. The teachers are gathering their kids, 
hiding them in the safe places of the building, getting ready for, this, uh, for the devastation of this tornado. And in one particular class, it's Miss Dorr's class, she's a third grade teacher, and it is her second year of teaching, so she's just finishing her second year of teaching, and she's also just found out recently that she's pregnant. Right? So she's gathering her students together, she's getting them up, and she's bringing them to the safest spot, their designated area where they go. I know you've all done uh, tornado or fire drills there. Imagine doing one of those, and so you're going, and you're going to, they're going to their safest spot in the building. And so the tornado starts coming, she's getting over her students, and she is laying over top of her students. She's protecting these little kids with her body, shielding them from the, in from the incoming destruction. Tornado's almost here. Principal gets up on the speaker again, announces to the school that the tornado's arrived. All right? Ms. Doors sitting there over top of her students, and the winds start picking up. Storm starts coming, starts getting louder and louder, rain is hitting, winds are raving, it gets louder and louder and louder. Ms. Doors is over there, over top of her students, protecting them. Walls start falling down, the ceiling gets ripped off. It's so loud, you literally cannot hear all the little kids screaming around you. All the kids underneath are screaming at the top of their lungs, scared for their lives. She's covering them with her body, and the winds are so loud, she couldn't even hear their screams. Shrapnel, everything, broken glass, metal, it's coming at them, coming at the kids, and she's protecting them with her own body. Winds go away, tornado passes, seven kids died at that school. Six of them were in her class. Fortunately, Miss Doors lived, and her baby stayed alive. She now had to live with the fact that six of the kids in her class, despite her best efforts to physically protect them with her own body, are now dead. Six in her class died. It's not the way things are supposed to be. This tornado was one of the most destructive tornadoes to ever happen. It's actually it's classified as an EF5 tornado, which is the highest, uh, most destructive tornado that there ever, ever could, that it's the highest on the scale. Uh, for a tornado to be classified as an EF5 tornado, it has to have winds between 261 to 318 miles per hour, and the width of, of the tornado has to be approximately three and a quarter miles, or three quarters of a mile wide or more. This tornado had wind speeds reaching around 300 miles per hour, plus or minus 15 miles per hour at, at different times during the storm. That's right almost at the very top of this scale. The width of the tornado at the widest point was 1.5 miles. Remember I said for a tornado to be classified as an EF5 tornado, it only had to be three, and a quarter, three quarters of a mile wide. So this is significantly wider than even the lowest class of the highest class of tornado. So I wonder if you can just imagine just how big, how powerful and destructive this tornado was. All in all, the tornado killed 24 people. It was not the most destructive tornado that ever happened. It still killed 24 people. 
377 people were injured in some way because of this tornado. Caused over $2 billion in damage. What happened between the perfect life in the garden that God created, where they were walking hand in hand with their creator, to May 20th, 2013, when this absolutely devastating tornado just ripped to shreds this town. It's not the way that God wanted it to be. It's not the way things were supposed to be. That is not how God made it. God did not want the world to be this way. He didn't make it that way. Child soldiers in places like Africa that are ripped out of their homes at a young age and brainwashed and forced to go and kill all their family, their friends, people that they lived with, that they grew up with. That's not the way God planned it. That's not what God intended. That is not God's perfection. The atrocities committed by Hitler, that was not what God wanted. Imagine you're a Jew in Nazi Germany. Hitler's begun his, his uh, concentration camp, rounding up with the Jews. There's been years of hate for the Jews before, and now he's starting to ship off the Jews. But it's not quite, they're not quite aware of what's actually going to happen. They're just being told that they're going, and they're being relocated. So the Nazis come, and they force all these Jews together, send them up on a, put them in a train. They box them so tightly in this train that they are literally standing there with people all around them. Like, you know, like if you've ever seen a boxcar train, imagine one of those packed wall-to-wall with people to where you, you can't even wiggle. There is no room left for you to move at all. And then it's a five, six, eight-hour train ride to wherever they're taking you. And it's hot, and it's muggy, and there's no holes in this boxcar, so there's really not much air. And you're in there with maybe 50 other people, so there's not a whole lot of air for you to breathe. They get to the concentration camps. The Nazis open the door. And the first thing that happens is the people next to the door fall out just dead. They were standing next to you that whole ride, and they were dead. All the elder, uh, elderly people, people with asthma, with anybody who had weak breathing, they suffocated on those train rides. But because of how tightly packed in there, they were left standing. Just imagine how horrifying that would be to realize when you get off this train that the person next to you has been dead for an hour and a half. And you had no idea, because there was no movement. It was everybody was just sitting tightly packed in there, and so the body was just held up, even though they'd already died. And now they're lining you up. The, uh, the guys are in one line. Women and children are in another. They're taking your clothes. They're taking your gold, your gold rings, your earrings. They're ripping out the gold fillings in your teeth. And then the guys, they go into their side of the camp. The girls and the children, the women and the children, they're sent off somewhere else. Guys start realizing uh, weeks pass by, months pass by, and they haven't seen those women, those children. They're not around anymore. 
they were all killed right away. If they weren't seen as useful, they were killed. That's not what God wanted. That's not how God intended things to be. That is not the way that God made perfection. That is not at all God's perfection. Let's go back even farther. All the way back to just right after the Garden of Eden. Right after this amazing perfection in the Garden of Eden, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve murders his brother. Cain killed Abel. He took a rock and he bashed his brains in because God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. So he was so mad, so enraged, he killed his own brother. He was the very first person born on this earth. And he was a murderer. And he murdered his own brother. That's just, that's not, that's not what God wanted. That's not the perfection that he made. How do we get there? How did that happen? Something had to have happened between that perfection in the garden to just right after horrible murder. Something we call the fall, right? And the fall is kind of a generic term, it seems. Sometimes I know if you've been grown up, if you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard the term the fall before, and it's just kind of, oh yeah, the fall man. You know, it's just kind of a term that's kind of thrown around every so often when. Are talking about it. And, you know, don't, it's usually not gotten into very much. I don't like to talk about the fall. But the fall here, let me just read you a quick little definition of the fall so we can kind of be on the same page and understand what it is. It says, the fall is the traditional term referring to the first sin of Adam and Eve, which brought judgment upon both nature and mankind. Sin and death entered the world, and humanity has been affected by it ever since. This came about because Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commandment not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? This was the one thing that God put in the garden that, that he specifically told Adam and Eve, that you can't have this. This is my symbol to you that I am in control. I made everything. Yes, I gave you dominion over the whole earth. You are to rule over the earth and to rule over the animals, and you are the pinnacle of my creation. But I still created everything, and this tree is the symbol that you don't have the control that I do. So Adam and Eve, they're walking around in the garden one day, and a serpent comes up to them. And he starts asking them, questioning so why did God tell you not to eat from this tree? What is it really that he's hiding from you? He said, you know, you know, he's really just trying to make sure that you don't end up like him. That tree, if you eat from the fruit of that tree, you'll be like God. You'll have all of his knowledge. You'll know what he knows. He just wants to hide that from you because he knows if you know that, you'll become more powerful than him and you don't need him anymore. So they start thinking, hey, maybe that sounds like a good idea. And they go and eat from this tree. And immediately, they realize what they did was wrong. And they're ashamed of it. The feelings that they'd never had before. They never knew 
wrong because there was no wrong. There was only right. Everything was perfect. But then when they ate from this fruit, that was wrong, and they knew it right away. They never felt that before. They were ashamed of what they did. There was nothing for them to be ashamed of before this. But now they're ashamed, and they go and hide from God. God comes walking around like he usually does, going to have his regular walk with his creation. Calls out, Adam, where are you? No answer. Just kind of hiding. Adam's sitting there hiding behind a bush. God calls out, Adam, where are you? Finally, Adam gets up and he says, here I am, God. And Adam goes into explaining what had happened, what he did, and the feeling of shame that he now has. God says, I love you, but I can't be with you. I cannot be part of sin. You now are tainted by sin. Sin has now entered this world, and I cannot be part of that. God is perfect, and he cannot be in that close relationship that they had. He can't be in that close relationship with them anymore because of sin. And so he banishes them from the garden. He kicks them out, and he curses the ground, and he curses the earth. He says, because of what you've done here, you'll struggle in life. Things will be bad. You'll have hard times. Things will be broken. You'll die. You'll get sick. And it's the reason you're going to have cuts and bruises. It's the reason you're going to fall and break your arm. Before that, you would have never broken your arm if you fell. There's, no, there's none of those, none of that stuff would have happened before they ate from that fruit. That's when all, anything bad you can possibly imagine in the world is all because of that. And not only, not only are Adam and Eve affected by that, everybody's affected by that. It's passed on by birth. You're born into sin. Something that just cannot be helped anymore. It's now cursing the entire human race. We're all born into this sin. We all have that same sin in us that was, that was what made Cain kill Abel. I have that potential. I could go and be, I have the potential to get so mad that I could kill somebody. You have that potential because of that sin. Let me go forward here and tell you a little bit about my story and how I personally relate with the fall and the way that it's affected my life. So I grew up in a Christian home. I had Christian parents. Uh, went to a Christian school. I actually went here to Perimeter uh, for first through eighth grade. So eight years of Christian education and uh, a whole life of growing up in the church. My parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. I was in, I had the, quote, perfect Christian upbringing. If all things were done and said, the, like, if things were to continue like that, I had it made as, according to, as far as Christian, being, being a Christian was, was considered. I had all, all the blessings of, of that from a young age. But now let's jump forward to September 27th, 2011. 
It's during the middle, during the, uh, the middle of my junior year in high school. I am sitting on a curb, kind of like this right here, sitting there. And just about as far away from me as these lights are, five feet away, are the blue lights of a, flash, of a cop car flashing. I'm sitting there so scared. I had no idea what those, that decision I'd made that night was going to impact my life. I, I was afraid of what would happen, what the consequences are. That night, I had been hanging out with a girl I didn't necessarily really have much of a relationship with, didn't particularly care that much about, and we'd been smoking weed, and we got caught, and I was getting arrested, and that was scary. I don't know if any of you have been arrested before, but at the very least, seeing the blue lights of a cop car is probably one of the most scary situations in, you are, in your life. Even if you're just getting pulled over for a speeding ticket, your heart's racing, and you're just like, oh, crap, what's going on here? I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, and that, that was how I felt. I was like, I just screwed up big time. I was... And so I was like, I'm just messed up my college. I'm not going to get a good job. I was, I was really scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. How did I get from that amazing Christian upbringing, the, quote, perfect Christian childhood, to sitting there on that curb just three years later? You see, it all goes back to what I said earlier about the fall and how we're born into sin. We all, I was born into sin. Psalm, Psalm 58.3 says, Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. I'm wicked from birth. It wasn't what my parents taught me. They brought me up well. It wasn't what I learned in school at a young age, I was taught to do the right thing. I was taught to do good. I was taught to stay away from all of that. It was because of the sin nature in me and the choices I made because of that that brought me there. Freshman year, coming out of eighth grade, coming in, I'm, a, I'm on fire. I'm on fire for God. I'm like, yes, let's go do this. Let's go do this high school thing. I'm going to be the light in the world. I get there, and at first it's kind of I'm I'm different. I'm seen as different. They know something is different about me. People are like, I don't know what's really with that Colby kid, but there's something a little bit different about him. He's he's not he's not quite like everybody else. And I was all pretty much first semester. Second semester I joined lacrosse. And I get in on the team with all those guys, and everybody out there's cussing. You know, miss a shot, ah, oh, beep this and beep that. And so I, I, I hear this, and I'm around this daily. So I'm like, all right, you know, I kind of don't think that's bad. I'm, that's not that, that's not that bad. I'm like, all right, yeah, it's not that bad. You know, I, I slip a few curse words here and there. You know, it's not, it's not that big of a deal anymore. I don't see, I don't really think anything of it. So I start cursing quite a lot. It actually, I, I, I got into it more and more, and it just became something that was part of my, 
regular speech. It wasn't, I didn't see anything different about it. I didn't see a reason not to. And all my friends were doing it, you know. I mean, there's no one there to tell me not to do it. So why not? Come to beginning of my sophomore year. You know, still hanging out with my friends from lacrosse. Season's not started yet. Moving around, all the guys, my friends, some of the older guys on the team, they've all uh, gotten into tobacco. And they're all, everybody dips and they smoke. So I'm seeing them doing it, and I'm just like, hey, why not? Let's go do that. That looks fun. My friends are doing it. It's not that big of a deal. It's just a small step up from cussing. It's not a problem. Let's go do that. And so I start doing that. And I get in that. So I'm, I've been doing that kind of regularly. And uh, that was probably one of the worst decisions I ever made. I have been struggling with that addiction for three years now. And that's probably been the hardest thing for me to try and get over. And then, end of sophomore year, getting into junior year, start going to parties with my friends. You know, everybody's drinking. And I'm like, sure, why not? Let's go do this thing. It's just a small step up from dipping. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Let's go drink. Let's go get drunk with my friends. Go black out on the weekends. That's what teenagers do for fun, right? That's some fun stuff. Yeah, so I started getting into that. My friends are all doing that. I'm doing that. It doesn't seem like that big of a deal to me anymore. In eighth grade, I'd have been shocked to see myself doing that. But by the end of my sophomore year, going into my, going into my junior year, yeah, no big deal. Let's go do that. And so my friends, you know, they're out smoking weed sometimes. So probably somewhere between my uh, sophomore and junior year, I'm like, yeah. I look, that's fine, yeah, no, I'll do that. So I started doing that occasionally. And that's what got me there. Each of those seemed like a small step for me. It was just one little step farther. I, didn't, I really wasn't going that far from where I was. And that's really not that farther than that. And that's not that much farther than that. And next thing I know, I am so far away from where I was in eighth grade. And if my eighth grade self could assume myself during my junior year, they'd have just been shocked. They'd be like, no, that's, that's not Colby. That's not me. That's, I don't end up doing that. That's, that's, that's not what's going to happen. But it was. I was so far away from God. I said I was a Christian. I went to Christian things, and I was really living a life of complete hypocrisy. Fortunately for me, I, uh, I, was not, I was not left there. God had a plan for me. He provided for me a discipleship group that uh, was, I've been with them since my freshman year. Uh, so I've been with them for four years now. And they've just been an absolute blessing in my life. Um, they helped me so much when I was going through that, especially after I got arrested. They didn't say, oh, Colby, you're such a horrible person. How the heck could you ever do that? They're like, no, Colby, let me help you. Let me show you how to get out of this. Let me help lead you to a path that's going to take you the right way. Our discipleship leader is a real strong guy. He's a real big guy. He's kind of scary. But uh, he... He was really helpful for me. I have 
a strong influence in my life and for the rest of the guys in our group to help lead us and guide us in the way that we're supposed to go. He showed us how uh, to walk in God and what it meant to be brothers, what it meant to have real brotherhood and accountability with each other. And God had another plan for me. He had a plan to help me get an entirely clean slate with my arrest. He provided a program for me called Deferral. Now this program, I had to complete a certain number of community service hours, I had to go to a certain couple of different uh, educational courses, and uh, after I completed all those, I went and I turned it into the judge. So I went to court, and he signed off on it, and just went away. It was as if he'd just thrown it in the trash can. None of it ever happened. There is no record of what happened that night. I was so blessed. God blessed me so much in that, that he gave me that chance to have an entirely, entirely clean slate. And God has a plan. God has a plan for you, just like he has a plan for me. He has a plan to help you to get a clean slate, to help you, in his eyes, look as if you're perfect. My friend Anna Sylvester is going to be talking with you about that tomorrow night. But I just want to go over a few things that, if you didn't get anything out of this tonight besides just these things, remember this. Fall touches everything in our lives. It's where our sin nature comes from. It's the reason we lie, we cheat, we do wrong. It's what makes the world broken. All of creation is broken because of that. I know this was kind of a dark and heavy night, especially compared to Gray's last night. But this is an important topic. It's hard but it's important. It's important that we realize and we recognize the sin nature in us. If you can't recognize that there's a problem, you're never going to be able to fix it. So we have to see that sin is the problem in our lives. The fall has caused this problem if we're ever going to be able to fix it. I wouldn't leave you with this tonight if I didn't know that y'all are going to be coming back tomorrow. If y'all are here just showing up from the surrounding areas and not actually part of Gold Rush, I really encourage you to come back tomorrow night. There is more to this story. This is not where it ends. We are not left stranded, hopeless, away from God. There's more. And Anna's going to tell us about that tomorrow night. Would y'all pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you that that is not the end of the story. I thank you that the fall is not, oops, we messed up. Well, too bad. I thank you that you give us a chance for a clean slate. Uh, I pray, though, that we would never forget the fall. That though it may not be something that we like to talk about or we want to talk about regularly, that we wouldn't forget it that we would get in deeply with it, 
and we would recognize that that's the problem and that we have to try and fix that problem. And only through you can we fix that problem.